Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Scottsdale Big Book Study, where we will study the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Today's date is the 3rd of December 2022. My name is Maria F, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm from County Dublin in Ireland, and I'll be your host for today's study. Our co-hosts today are Sue L, Nancy J, and Audrey N. If you have any questions or any concerns during the meeting, please contact either myself or any of the co-hosts, and you can do this by private message in the chat function. Please note that our speaker today, Harlan G, will be recorded for the duration of the study. However, the question and answer section, which follows, that will not be recorded. And we'll post a link to the previous week's recording in the chat function. So I think we're at 113, week 113, so we'll post all the previous links and also the link to the seventh tradition. We'll post that in a few minutes into the chat box. We'll also ask if you could please keep your microphones on mute at all times during our study today. And if you need to step away from your video for any reason at all, if you're exercising, if you're eating, if you're driving, please do disconnect your camera. So now we will turn over the meeting to Harlan G in Scottsdale, Arizona. Good morning, Harlan. Thank you so much, Maria, and I'm so glad to be here. And uh, I say this all the time, uh, it's less true today. I hope it's as gorgeous where you are, wherever any of you are, as it is here today. And I hope whether you're listening on podcast or you're listening here live, that you're having a great day. Couple of things before I get started. Number one, next week, you're gonna have a couple of very exciting, dynamic speakers, because I'm going to be in White Plains, New York, and I'm going to be doing a live big book workshop. And if you'd like to attend, uh, I know someone that's smarter than I will post the information in the chat as to how to register for this upcoming workshop that is going to be taking place in White Plains, New York next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And before I say another word, I wanna remind everybody that the early bird registration for the birthday convention in Los Angeles ends on midnight Christmas day. So if you wanna take advantage of lower prices, um, I'm hoping that you will go to Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup Los Angeles, Overeaters Anonymous and register for the OA birthday, which is coming up the 13th, the 14th and the 15th of January. And remember that OA was founded on January 19th, 1960 in West Los Angeles was the first meeting ever is uh, uh, January 19th, 1960. And we're going to have a wonderful, wonderful convention. We're going to get people together that uh, have been in their houses, you know, since COVID. And it's just going to be fantastic. There's going to be lots and lots of great workshops. I'm doing something three o'clock on Friday on the prefaces and the forewords. I'm going to give a lot of history uh, and stuff like that. And there's just going to be some great, great speakers. So breeding workshop, workshops on all the steps, lots of special interest meetings. It's going to be fantastic. Don't miss the OA birthday. Remember always that we don't live to recover. We recover to live. And it's so important for us to get out and enjoy. There's a dance on Saturday. 
Saturday night. Now, I'm not much of a dancer, obviously, but there's a dance on Saturday night. Lots of good things. You'll get to meet people. They'll get to meet you. And it's a very, very safe crowd because we all speak and understand the language of the heart. So come one, come all to Los Angeles. Okay. When we get started on the book, we're going to get started on page 64, and we're going to get started on the words, resentment is the number one offender. But before we get to that, before we actually tackle resentment being the number one offender, what I would like to do today, this morning, is I would like to talk about where do resentments come from? Where does fear <clears throat> come from? Because this is a lot of what has been driving us since we were babies. Where does resentment come from? Where does fear come from? And what we're going to be discussing today are the basic instincts of life. And these instincts of life are hardwired into us by God. And because we have these instincts of life, not only do we survive as individuals, but they have guaranteed the survival of the human race. And so these instincts, when they have run amok, have caused us a lot of problems. When they've been ignored, they have caused a lot of problems. And there are three basic instincts of life. The first of the instincts of life that the fourth step is going to deal with. It's gonna deal with it in the resentment section, it's gonna deal with it in the fear section, and it's gonna deal with it in the sexual harms done others section. So it must be pretty darn important if it's going to be dealing with it on such a wide, wide level. So let's take a look at the first of these, the first of these um, instincts, and that is the social instinct. And each and every one of us as human beings, each and every one of us as people has an instinct, a need to be accepted by our peers, to be one of the group, to be liked and to, and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And even cavemen, Neanderthals, Cro-Magnum man, uh, all these various uh, uh, sites where they have dug up settlements of these cavemen uh, uh, have proven that even cavemen thousands of years ago figured out that they could live safer and more efficiently by living together than they can separately. And so what would happen is say me and, uh, and, and Jack W over there in Florida, we're gonna, we're hunting. Well, we could hunt as individuals or we could say, hey Jack, come on over here. We'll run this wildebeest through the trees. And when we do, then uh, Tanya over there, you hit him on the head with your club and the three of us will split a wildebeest and that's much more efficient than us each hunting our own wildebeest. We can also protect each other. We can also live communally more and, and we can do other things as a community than we can as individuals. Even 
if you if you want the perfect example, but even cavemen figured this out very, very early on, thousands and thousands of years ago. But if you want a beautiful illustration of the social instinct, by all means, go to a middle school or high school or grammar school on Monday and observe what you see. Now, I have a daughter and my daughter went to Cocoa Palm Middle School here in Scottsdale, Arizona. And every day when I would pick her up from school, they'd be jibber jabbering in the back seat about who do you like and who do you like like and who do you like and who do you this and I mean there was a I I, I often thought maybe if I just I mean how bad could death be I mean I'll just fall out of the car and maybe a truck will run me over because I'm listening to this chatter all the way home and who's having the sleepover and whose dress are you going to wear and why are they wearing your and I would say why are you wearing someone else's clothes we spend good money on your clothes and I was told to shut up sometimes very rudely but they wear each other's clothes and they sleep over and this is something boys don't really do but I only had a girl so I only have it from that perspective. And that is, if you really want a wonderful illustration as to the social instinct, go to a middle school or go to a high school and there'll be the nerds over there and there'll be the jocks over there and the really pretty girls over there and then maybe not so pretty girls over there and the cheerleaders, they're over there, whatever that may be. I don't know all of the classifications, but there are different classifications. Now, we also want to, we want to remember that not only do we want to hold on to what we currently have, but we may have ambition for the future, ambition for the future. Let's just say, for example, that I am part of a group of friends that likes science fiction movies or whatever that may, I'm just making stuff up on the, off the top of my head, Okay. And I'm getting a little tired of the sci-fi scene and I'd like to go over there and I wanna be part of the group that likes superhero movies or they like romantic comedies. And I'm sort of trying to get in with this group over there. That's part of my ambition for the future. Now, anybody that tries to oust me from the science fiction group, I'm going to resent them and it's going to create problems for me. Now, I've got my ambition over here. I want to watch Sleepless in Seattle, and I want to watch You've Got Mail, and I want to watch all the romantic comedies. Actually, I really do enjoy romantic comedies. But anyway, the bottom line is I want to be over there with that group. So I have an ambition for the future to be part of that romantic comedy group. But there's a person over there and her name is Jane, or his name is Joe, whatever that may be, I don't know, or maybe it's Johan, I don't know, or Carl, and they're telling the rest of the people that go to that group that likes romantic comedies that I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a schlamazzle or a schlemiel, or maybe I'm a stunk, who knows? They're telling them bad things about me, and they're blocking me from my ambition for the future. And I am now getting wind of it. And the first thing I'm going to do is resent them 
fear them. I'm going to try to strike out at them. First, I may try to ingratiate myself to them, or I may try to character assassinate them as well. And you see this in politics all the time. Oh, yeah. Well, your mother wears army boots. Oh, yeah. Well, your mother wears whatever, you know. But the bottom line is, is that we see this in all the political ads. These people are trying to thwart the ambition of the opposing politician. So we have the social instinct. If I said on this line, and there's 145 of us, and by the way, thanks for attending. My ego thanks you. But the bottom line is there's 145 of us on the line right now. And if I said, hey, we're all going to Carl's Red Hots in South Shore in Chicago, and we're going to get hot dogs, except Nancy J, you're not invited. Nancy J, you cannot come with us. That's going to hurt her feelings. Even though she may hate hot dogs, she may not want to go to Carl's Hot Dogs in South Shore or the Red Hot Ranch up on Devon Avenue, where I grew up and did a lot of my early binging at the Red Hot Ranch at Devon and Albany. I lived on Devon and Albany too. But if I said, Nancy, you're not welcome to come with us, it would hurt her feelings just as it would any normal person. And the first thing out of her mouth would probably be a deflection and say, well, I don't want to go there anyway. That place sucks. Who wants to come with me to Fred's hot dogs or Mike's hot dogs or whatever? So that would be something that would thwart her social instinct. So we get a picture of the social instinct. And the social instinct works not only at the level of what you have, but it also has to be considered for our ambitions for the future. So if we want to advance to that group that likes romantic comedies, now we have to ingratiate ourselves to them. And now we have to worry is, oh my God, maybe there's a person in there Joe, Jane, whoever, Mo, Larry, Curly, whatever it is, Ralph Cramden. And we're now going to get thwarted in our ambition. And this is part of that instinct. It is imbued into us by God. And it is vital not only to the survival of us as human beings, but survival of us as a people, of a society. Very important. Now, there's a sub heading to the social instinct. And the subheading to the social instinct is self-esteem. And self-esteem is usually reflective. Now, what do I mean by self-esteem being reflective? Here's what I mean. Self-esteem on the surface says, I am thinking of myself very highly, so I must be a good person. It usually really doesn't work that way. What it usually works at is at, at, the, at the reflective level. Since 148 of you think that this may be interesting enough to zoom into today, if you think I'm a good person, then maybe I really am a good person. So if you think if I think that you think that I'm a good person instead of a stunk, 
probably I may be a good person. So anything that upsets what I currently think of myself, not in an ego-driven madness kind of way, we'll get to that, but what I'm reflecting back on what I think you think of me. And when we get too wrapped up in what other people think of us, we are in trouble. And here's what I know. Here's what most people are thinking of me most of the time. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're thinking about them. I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. Well, that's great for me, but it's probably not something that's operative or realistic for others. So many of us encase ourselves in fear and we surround ourselves with lunacy because we are very, very wrapped up in what will people think? I'll let you know nothing absolutely nothing. They're thinking about them. But this wild-eyed madness that we live in about what other people think can be very, very destructive. But here's the upside to it. It keeps me from going out and acting in a way that will bring me shame and embarrassment. If we didn't have these internal policemen instilled and imbued into us, welded into us by God, then we would have a lawless society. We would go around and it would be like feudalism. In feudalistic times, it was, it was, it was survival of the mightiest. And there was a manor over there and the Lord protect the serfs and whoever had the biggest army, the biggest show of force, would take over the land. But today we wanna to act in accordance with the laws and customs of the country that we live in or the society that we live in. We wanna do that because we wanna think highly of ourselves, self-esteem. So the first of the instincts is the social instinct and any attack at the social instinct whether it's in what we currently have or our ambitions for the future is going to create in us fear and resentment. So we see how fear and resentment emanate off the social instinct. Now let's go to the second of the instincts. And this is a big one, not that the other one's a small one. This is huge. And if you've taken a fifth step, you know that most of the material in a fourth step is going to concern itself with finance and romance, finance and romance. So the second of the instincts is the security. And somebody's unmuted. So if somebody uh, that's a co-host because I'm not at this meeting, I don't think. No, I'm not. If somebody could please mute everybody, that would be appreciated. The security instinct. God imbues us with this instinct so that we can and will provide for our families and ourselves. We just met little Carl before the meeting. Now, little Carl's a little young to be working. He does have a side job as a terrorist and he keeps Johan and he keeps his wife up all night because part of his job and part of Elsa's job is to make sure that Carl, excuse me, is to make sure that Johan and his wife do not get any sleep. 
and they have been very, very successful in this endeavor. And I know that Carl is bucking for a promotion by screaming all night long so that Johan cannot sleep at all. And they walk into walls over there. He's still doing a great job, isn't he? Yes, he is. I just got the thumbs up. Okay. Now, but Carl's a little young to hold down any other type of job. So Johan has to go out and he has to provide for his family. But anything or anyone that prevents him from doing so is going to create in him a resentment. He is going to resent them. He's going to fear the situation because he needs to provide for his family. Now, let's just say that Johan goes to work on Monday and he decides he talked to his friend Joe and Joe has a lead on a job that is better than the one that Johan now works at. And Joe says, hey, come on over here, work for Lee and Grant Associates, work for Mo Larry and Curly and Associates, whatever that may be. And you can go here and make more money and it will be a much better job. He, Johan will have to say, okay, I'm going to do that or not do that. But once he starts that process of getting that other job, now anything that interferes with that is interfering with his ambition for the future in the security instinct. So we see now where instincts are, how, why they're there, and how this is where resentment and fear emanate from. Let's continue on with the security instinct. Part of the security instinct is personal security. What I'd like you to do now is in your mind, imagine that the 156 of us that are here right now are not on Zoom, but we're in the same room. And some madman comes in with a gun or a knife or an axe or something, and we perceive that person as being dangerous. Dangerous to our personal security, our life, our limbs, our bodies, our minds. So what is our instinct? It's to flight, flee, fight or flight. Some of the people may run away as fast as they can, while others, their fight instinct might be triggered and they'll try to take the guy or the gal down. But no matter whether you're in flight or fight, you are going to react instinctually. And this instinct, once again, is hardwired into us by God Almighty to not only pursue, to preserve us as individuals, but it helps us to persevere as a world. Now, the last of these security things, because there's two parts to the social, three parts to security, the last part of the security instinct is emotional security, emotional security. It's, it's, it's something that's very, very important. And when anyone or any, any, anything that preserves that emotional security in us is threatened, we are going to have a resentment. We are going to have a fear. And this is where it comes from. I have several friends. I'm lucky enough to have a lot of friends. I'm blessed by God. But two of my friends, it's actually me and another person, but two of my 
circle, we hate what the other person listens to on the flipping radio. And we fight about it all the time. He has to listen to this hard rock and this blasting in my ears. I can't stand it. And he doesn't like the kind of music I listen to because it's quiet. It's shah. Sheket bavakasha. What does sheket bavakasha mean? Be quiet. Sheket bavakasha, my father would say to me. Shah still. So I like quieter music. He likes rock and roll from the, you can hear it for six miles. He's got, I don't know if he's deaf or close to it, but my God, when we ride in a car together, it's raucous, man. I'm telling you, it's bad news. So part of that is we like the music, but part of that is I want my emotional security. And everybody has, you have your own kind of, a thing that you know produces that emotional security and it becomes very, very important. So anybody in the security instinct that threatens what you have in that area or your ambition for the future is going to produce fear and resentment. You are going to strike out at this other person. Thank God he lives in the Bay Area, so I can't strike out at him. And I don't have to have these fights with him all the time, but I hope to see him soon. But he, but the bottom line is anybody that has this situation threatened is going to react with resentment and fear. So, so far we've covered two of those instincts. The two instincts that we've covered just to review are the social instinct and its companion self-esteem. And then we have the security instinct and security is pocketbook, money, a living, money. That's the main one. And then we have emotional security and we have personal security. There are three parts to the social, uh, three parts to the security instinct, two parts to the social instinct. Now we're going to talk about the last of the instincts, which only has one part, and that is the sex instinct. We are imbued by God to pair bond, whether that pair bonding takes place with the opposite gender or the same gender is not anything that we are going to discuss in this forum. I want to be very clear. We have no opinions on such matters. So these opinions or these things or this discussion of whether it's this kind of thing or that is not going to happen in this forum. Absolutely not. We do not have an opinion. We value all people. We love all people. And no matter what the situation is, you are, of course, welcome here. Now, we have this instinct to pair bond. And in this instinct to pair bond, it's not only what we have right now, but it may be our ambitions for the future. Let's take a look at some scenarios and let's see where we get to. I was married for 17 and a half years. Before I was married, a long time before I was married, I was single for a very, very long time. I was alone for a long time. I didn't go on my first date till I was 35 years old. And I watched the whole world pass me by. And so there are things about this subject. There are things about this that are confusing to me. They're very frightening to me because it's a dance I don't know. And I get easily scared and intimidated 
resonated when I hear things that say in my mind, oh my God, I can't match up to that. Oh my God, how am I going? That's too tough of an act for me to follow. And I don't want to be alone, but I don't want to be in those scary kind of situations. But let's take a look at the actual step. The sex instinct, very important. And we know that this is something that happens to us as human beings and that it's very, very natural. And without that, the human race as we know it would cease to exist. About 120 years from now, there wouldn't be one human being left on the face of this earth. Think about that for just a minute. Isn't that pretty weird? You know, you don't often think about that. But if the sex instinct were eradicated from the souls and minds and hearts of human beings, about 120 years from now, there wouldn't be one single human being left on the face of this earth. Isn't that kind of sobering to think about that? But we have this instinct to pair bond. We have an instinct to be part of that. And oftentimes, not when we're married, hopefully, but oftentimes we want to go from one situation to another situation. Maybe it's not while we're with the original person. Maybe there's a period of separation. Hopefully there will be. And now you want to go on and you want to sort of pair bond with this other person. But anybody who thwarts your ambition for that, anybody who stands in the way of that is going to produce in you resentment, and fear. And this is where the fear and resentment come from in the area of sex. When I was married for 17 and a half years, my wife came home. It was May of 2010 and she demanded a divorce. And I tried to talk her out of it. Once she laid this on me, I knew there was no going back that she had already found the love that she was waiting for and was already involved with somebody. She told me they make more money than you, which I know is huge and this and that, but she was already involved with somebody else. So that was extremely, that was an extremely hard pill to swallow, but there's no, there's really no coming back from that. At least I couldn't, I couldn't repair the breach. There was no way I could repair the breach. So these are the things, excuse me, these are the things. These are the instincts, not the things. These are the instincts where the emanation point of resentment and fear are launched from. Very, very important for us to remember that this is where these resentments and fears and this discomfort is coming from. So I hope by discussing these instincts, we have a better understanding of where do resentments come from? They don't just flitter around like butterflies. They don't just fly through the air. They don't just fly through the air. And they come from a threat to one of the three basic instincts of life. Now, it may not be apparent to you, you may not be in touch with it, but you've never had a resentment in your life. You've never had a fear in your life that didn't touch on one of these basic instincts. Even though you may not be aware of it, this is where they come from. Very, very important. I was having lunch the other day, and a spider just appeared out of nowhere. 
And I was thinking about that this morning because I was trying to think in my mind, you know, that I was going to do this. And it's not like this, this spider seemed to come from nowhere. I, my hand to God, it's like he wasn't crawling around. It's like he, like, like this strand of web came down and there was this freaking spider. But resentments and fears do not emanate from the thin air. They emanate 100% from a threat, either to what we have in these instincts or our ambitions for the future. Okay. Very, very important. Now, our youngest member, Ilsa, is now joining us at our meeting. She is our youngest member, but we can't see her anymore. She just sat down with her daddy. Okay, there she is. Okay, now we have this to grow upon. Now, I told you that when we get started, and I know some of you are saying, is this guy ever going to get started with the book? I am going to get started with the book, but we need to cover this stuff because this stuff is vital to our understanding, not only of what we're doing, but how we're living. And you may say to yourself, well, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't see it. I, I'm mad at my son because he does this or he does that. If you really take a look at these basic instincts, the resentment you have against your son, the resentment you have against anything or anyone touches on the launching pads. And that is these basic instincts of life. Now I want to talk to you for just a minute. I am going to get to the book. So hold your freaking horses here. But we want to talk about this concept of resentment. Of course, we're going to get into fear when it's appropriate, but let's for the moment concentrate on resentment. What does that mean? Re always is a prefix that means to do again, review, repaint, rewrite, re, re means to do again. Sentiment comes from an old, old word sentiri, which means to feel. So resentment means to re-feel old hurts, old injuries, old slights. And resentment always concerns itself with the past. Now, let me explain, because I see some of you, I can only see 20 something of you, but I know there's a lot more than that here. I can hear some of you going, what are you talking about? Resentment is always something that was in the past. Resentment is in the past. Now, let me explain. If you look at your resentments, it's your re-feeling old hurts. But you may say to me, but Harlan, that's not true. I resent Joe and Joe is continuing to piss me off. He's a real, he's a real schlub. He's a total schlub. I can't stand Joe. He's not only pissed me off when we were in third grade and again in high school, but he's continuing to piss me off now. You can separate anger from resentment. Anger is something that's happening right this minute. But if you keep returning it, replaying it in your mind, it becomes a resentment. So yes, he's doing it again. Like my friend that lives in the Bay Area, he's got to have the heavy rock and roll that you can hear for six blocks and, you know, oh my God, and he's got the, he can afford the best sound system and the best, 
the radios and there's 8,000 watts per channel and you can hear it from outer space. And I don't like that. I like things shot, quiet, not so loud. My God, it hurts my head. So resentment is I didn't get my way in the past. Somebody attacked my instincts. Somebody's attacking. Mostly instincts are going to be instincts, plural. Usually not one. It's usually going to be more than one. Fear is I may not get my way in the future. You're either going to try to, excuse me, hold on one second. You're going to take away something that I currently hold, my money, my wife, my whatever, take my wife, please. No, you're going to, you're going to take something that I want to have, or I may not get my way in the future. And if you look at your fear, it's fear is in the future. It isn't happening yet. It's not happening right now. Yes, if somebody walks in with a gun, that's right now. Yes, I understand that. That's true. But what you're really fearing is, oh my God, my life's going to be over. I'll never get to see the monsters again, or I'll never get to see the honeymooners again, or whatever that might be. You know, this is how our brains are wired. So resentment is always in the past. Fear is always in the future. What else do we know about resentments? They're never true. Let me just explain. I love the Chicago Bears. And today somebody said to me, come with us tomorrow. We're going to go over here on Scottsdale Road and we're going to watch the game. And I said, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't want to make plans right now. I don't know, but I may. I'll talk. I'll, I'll see. They're going to go up to Frank Lloyd Wright and Scottsdale, and they're going to watch the games. And the Bears will be on because I, the Fakakta uh, TV, the way it is now, I can't watch NFL Sunday. I, can't, I don't have NFL Sunday ticket, so I can't get the Bear games at my house. I have to go someplace. But anyway, that said, on Jan in January of 1986, the Chicago Bears beat the New England Patriots 44 to 10 in Super Bowl 20. And if there was a test on that television program, I would get an A++. Take that, Mrs. Leonard, my algebra teacher. But the bottom line is I would get an A++. You may be able to tie me on on a test of it, but you wouldn't beat me. There's no way you're going to beat me because I know that thing backwards and forwards. Now, that recording of the Chicago Bears beating the New England Patriots has a quality that I sorely lack. What is that quality that it has? It's called fidelity. When I was a little boy, not a little boy, when I was a younger teenager, you could buy an album, the Beatles or whoever you wanted to buy. And you could choose to spend a little more money and get stereo, or you could get a little cheaper album, same song, same music, but it was called High Fidelity. Now, what does fidelity mean? It means truth and it means consistency. And the fidelity of that recording is as such so that it never, ever changes. 
The music is the same. The commercials are the same. The action is the same. I'm never going to watch that and go, oh my God, New England just took the lead. No, that's not going to happen. Now, in my mind, in my mind, if someone takes a threatening stance at my basic instincts of life, we'll call her Nancy M just for the sake of conversation. We'll say Nancy M of Florida makes me upset. Now, when she first does it, knowing that she's not so nice to me, but when she first does it, I'm a little angry. But you give me enough time and I'm really mad at Nancy M. Here's why. Because every time I go over that in my mind, I change it just a little bit. And I make her part a little more nefarious, a little more dastardly, and my part a little more innocent. And then one day I will believe this lie that I was standing there doing nothing and she came along and did me wrong. And if you think that every resentment we have in our heads is 100% true, it's not. Because over time, we have changed those resentments a little here and a little there. And as I replay that resentment over and over and over and over again, not only am I going to be madder and madder at madder at Nancy M, I am now also going to be mad at Joe because Joe should have stopped her from doing that. And then what's going to happen is the two most sad states of, of existence for me are going to settle in. I'm going to be mad at God and mad at myself. And I'm going to engage in one of the most self-destructive emotions that a human being can entertain self-pity. And I am feeling sorry for myself because this person, Nancy M of Florida, and I'll give you her phone number later, but if this person, Nancy M, came along and did me dirt, and now I'm feeling sorry for myself. God can't get in there. That's a mind that has blocked God off. That's a mind where God cannot get into that mind. It is blocked from God because it's so full of anger and fear and resentment and just emotional garbage, just dreck, chazerai, dreck. Dreck is poo-poo. Chazerai is garbage. Give me that chazerai over there means we're going to probably throw it out because it's of no use whatsoever. So the Yiddish word of the day today is chazerai. Chazerai means garbage. And what we're going to do in step four is we are going to get rid of the garbage that has been in our way from childhood. And what I want to do, I almost wish I could do two things at the same time next Saturday, do this and do New York, but I can't. But 
I want to, in the, in the next few weeks here, I want to clear up these misconceptions around step four. And I want to streamline it so that it is so simple, you won't put it off, you won't protract it, and you won't be afraid of it. It's really a very, very simple process. So that said, let's go to page 64. When I'm 64, boom, boom. Okay, resentment. See, you didn't even know you were going to get some singing today, which I'm not good at. And if you come to the birthday, I'll watch all of you dance. But okay, resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else because you cannot get in a mind that is full of resentment. God can't get in there. We need to clear a place off for God. And essentially what we're doing is this scenario. We're going to make a deal with ourselves. And here's the deal. Instead of repairing or living with the chazerai in our lives, the clutter, the dreck in our lives, we're going to clear it out so that God can put brand new things in our closet. Now, wouldn't you make that deal with God every time? You want a new this? You want a new one of that? Clear it out. Let me put it out in the curb for the garbage man. And God's going to buy you a brand new one. We're going to uncover, discover, and discard the things that have been in our path, blocking us from the sunlight of the spirit. Resentment is the number one offender. It destroys more alcoholics than anything else. How does it destroy you? It destroys you because it keeps you pinned to the comfort of the food. The only thing that gave me relief from the fear I felt, the, the anger that I felt, the jealousy that I felt, the guilt, shame, and remorse that I felt was Twinkies. Chips Ahoy, whatever, whatever you like. I could not for the life of me stop eating because you were trying in my mind to take away the only thing that gave me solace in the storm. Now we have something new. We have a program. We have a higher power. We always had God, but we didn't know how to access him. If, at least I didn't know how to access him. Let me speak for myself until I came into this program. From it stem all forms of spiritual disease, for we had not only been mentally and physically ill, we have been spiritually sick. It's a very, very heavy sentence. And here's what it means. Don't listen to this because it may save your life. Ignore me. If we don't get rid of these resentments, we're going to die in the food. And the only way I know of to get rid of them is to work the steps. I can no more decide on my own willpower to rid myself of these resentments than I could, than I could willpower myself not to eat raisinets, popcorn, and snow caps at the movies. I do not have sufficient willpower to discipline myself 
not to eat these things. All my life, people said to me, if you only had discipline, Harlan Grabowski, the world would be yours. You've got to get discipline. You've got to pull yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't recall any bootstraps on my shoes. I don't remember wearing any shoes that had bootstraps. So I couldn't possibly pull myself up by them. And I tried and I tried and I failed and I failed. And by the time I was six or seven, the world had sent me a very violent, very loud, very discernible signal that said, as you are, you are unacceptable, not only to females, you are unacceptable to everyone in our society. As you are today, you do not exist on a plane of acceptability. And while you choose to eat candy, while you choose to be defiant to what the doctor is telling you, we are going to continue to reject you. And the world made good on that by rejecting me constantly and letting me know that no matter who I was or what I was, I could not make the grade of human being. And by the time I was young, I wanted to die a lot more than I wanted to live. And from what I get from phone calls and what I get from the communications of many, many of you, I am clearly not alone in that area. And this disease, this illness does a lot more to a person than make them fat. It is a disease of self-loathing. It is a disease of doubt. It is a disease of fear. It is a disease of conscious separation from God. And it is a disease that makes one's life a living hell. Let's continue. When the spiritual malady is overcome, we straighten out mentally and physically. Now, not only through my surgeons who replaced my knees and hips, but through God Almighty, six days a week, I get up very early in the morning and I'm able to walk three miles and it takes me 90 minutes to do it. I'm not exactly speed racer out there, but I finish. I finish. By the grace of God, I can get in and out of a car today. By the grace of God, I can walk upright. I can sit in the booth of a restaurant and not order chocolate sundaes and food that's going to kill me. By the grace of God, I can wear clothes that come from a normal store. I could go on and on and on with the gifts of my life, but it starts with this. It has to start with this. What I've done, how I have felt about these people that I resent, these institutions, these things, cannot continue. My life as I had been living it was not going to give me what I wanted. And although it seemed unfair at the time that I'm the one that has to make all this effort, how come my effing friends don't have to go to meetings? How come they don't have to read a book? How come they don't have to have a sponsor? And they get to be thin and kiss girls and girls kiss them. And they get to do whatever they do in the bedroom with the door closed, hopefully. But they get to, why do, why do I need to go through all this trouble, but they don't? And that made me angry too. 
I have a sickness. They didn't. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Column one of the fourth step. Column one, we're going to use four columns. Oy vey, is it really 10 to? Oh, my God. We're going to use, oh, my God. Maria, you should have shut off your foghorn a long time ago. How did I go so long? All right. Anyway, it is what it is. We're going to use four columns for resentment, four for fear, five for the sex inventory. But we're just dealing with the the first three columns of the resentment inventory. We may run over a little bit. So Peter Jungle may have to wait for a minute here, but we'll see how far we get. Okay. Column one, who or what do you resent? Go down the columns. We write them vertically. We read them horizontally. Do not try to write them horizontally. Go down the list of your resentments. You may not have all, excuse me, you may not Nah, you may have some resentments that are not against a person. I had a resentment against blood is thicker than water. It's an expression. Blood is thicker than water. How come I don't have any blood relatives? How is that fair? How is it fair that I don't have aunts, uncles, cousins, brothers, sisters? How is that fair in the world? Especially this time of year. Everything is about family. And, you know, I resented the whole, you know, dating thing and it left me out. And, you know, every kiss begins with K and Valentine's Day. Make sure you get her this and make sure you this. And none of that had anything to do with me. And I was angry about that. So you may resent things other than a person. It's people, institutions, postulates things like that. You may resent the IRS. You may, re the Democrats are going to resent the Republicans and the Republicans, they're going to represent, not represent, they're going to resent the Democrats and so on and so forth. So a lot of your resentments may not be against a person. And I know what's coming in the question and answer period. What if you resent God? Well, what if you do? Put it down. And we're going to see that God had probably nothing to do with it. Oh, I hear some of you say, I hear good. I What about the Holocaust? And what about slavery? And what about the massacre of Native Americans? God didn't do that. Those were people that did that. Because human beings are not cyborgs. They're not robots. They have free will. And there were human beings who chose to do horrible things to other human beings. God cried too. God was crying while you were being molested. God was crying while you were taken advantage of or physically abused or abandoned. God didn't tell them to do that to you. He cried too. My family on my father's side was obliterated off the face of the earth. For what reason? For what reason? They prayed a different way. They observed Sabbath on a different day. And therefore, they were killed. How is that fair? Well, it's not. But the only place fair exists is in the dictionary. 
So we have to stop looking for justice and we have to stop looking for retribution against a world that no longer exists. And we have to ask ourselves a question. Is this the hill you want to die on? We're going to talk a lot more about that when we get to page 67, which obviously we're not going to get to today. But it, you have to ask yourself this question. Yes, slavery, racial prejudice, the Holocaust, uh, the, what happened to the Native Americans, what happened in Ireland, what happened in all over this world. There's not enough time to cite all the injustices, the Armenians, the God knows who, God knows what. We don't have enough time. But is that the hill that you want to die on? Because let me assure you of something. If I believe that if I went home and went to Geno's East in Chicago and ate a pizza, that it would bring back the six million, I would be on my way home to right now. And it's 20 freaking degrees there. I don't want to go home right now, but I would make the trip just to save those people. If I thought that me eating the Rice Krispie treats that I used to like brought back the 6 million, I would do it in a heartbeat. But it's not going to bring one of them back. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let Hitler kill one more Jew. And me eating because there was a Holocaust means he has killed me too. And he's been dead since 1945. Are you fighting that battle? Are you about done? Because you're not going to recover hanging on to that Chazerai. You're not going to recover with that bouncing around in your head. My mother used to say to me, because my dad was very angry. And my dad, I've had three psychiatrists, not ones that he saw, ones I've known from program, tell me your father had PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And he had it bad. And he hated and he feared. He was not a hateful person. He was a good man, but he was deathly afraid. And my mother would say to me, and my mother was absolutely crazy, but this is one thing she said to me that, thank God, I listened to. She'd say to me, you cannot live like him. If you live like him, you're going to, you're going to kill your life. You can't think like your father or you're going to live like your father. She'd say to me, you take a Jewish person, a Catholic person, a Protestant person, an American Indian, a black person, a Catholic, a Protestant, whatever you want to do, dip them in Lake Michigan and they will be equally wet. And my dad had a different take on things. He, they hated him. He hated him right back. They hate me. I'm going to hate him back. But I can't live that way and be in recovery. I love you, dad, but I can't live like you. So is this the hill you want to die on? I know this has become a part of you. I know you like it. I know you're comfortable in it because like poo-poo, you lay in it long enough, it doesn't even smell anymore. And it becomes warm and comfortable and cozy. You got to get out of that poo-poo tub and you got to get into the recovery, the recovery mode and let that go.
Let's finish this one paragraph. I'm sorry, guys, I went too long. I didn't realize how late it was getting, but I think that this material is worth going through. In dealing with resentments, we set them on paper. Column one, who or what do you resent? Column two, we listed, or we listed people, institutions, or principles with whom we were angry. We asked ourselves why we were angry. Column two, what did they do to you? 19 words or less, please. Do not write me a freaking novel on what they did to you. It just makes it worse and digs you in worse. What did they do to you? In other words, why are you mad at them? In most cases, it was found that our self-esteem, our pocketbooks, our ambitions, our personal relationships, including sex, were hurt or threatened. So we were sore. We were burned up. Means the third column is going to be the basic instincts of life. Column one, resentments. I'm just going to recap this, Maria, and then I'm going to come back to you. I'm going to make it as quick as I can. Linda, I'll be at Peter Jungle. Trust me, I'm hungry. Okay, now, column one. Who or what do you resent? We're only getting to three columns so far. The fourth column in this is on page 67. Column one, who or what do you resent? Column two, why do you resent them? What did they do to you? 19 words or less, please. Where did I get 19 words from? The examples that we're going to read next time we're together. Column three, what basic instinct or instincts, plural, are affected? Very seldom will it be one instinct. So it's very, very important. Now, before I turn you over, I want to remind you of a few things. I want to remind you of number one, the OA birthday, 13th, 14th, and 15th of January. Get your tuchus there. No excuses. Reservations are on OA, or excuse me, Los Angeles OA IG, Los Angeles Overeaters Anonymous Intergroup. And there's a link to that birthday and the hotel. Two, next weekend, I will not be here. I'll be in New York. I'll be in White Plains, New York, right, Nancy? White Plains, yeah, White Plains, New York, and we'll be doing Big Book. So you're going to have two fabulous speakers. These are both people that I know very well personally, and they are fantastic. You are not going to want to miss that. And number three, if you asked a question last week, hang back, hang back. No asking the question two weeks in a row until we've kind of bled through the people that have questions. And then if there's nobody